0: The Capital Weekly Podcast is supported by TASSEN, the Tribal Alliance of Sovereign Indian Nations.
1: Uh, Greetings and welcome to the Capital Weekly Podcast. I'm John Howard and I'm joined by my colleague Tim Foster. Hi, John. And our special guest today is Austin Mutner, who has worn a number of hats, including publisher of the Los Angeles Times, San Diego Tribune, Uh, superintendent of the Los Angeles Unified School District, LA's first deputy mayor. Uh, But now we're gonna be talking with Austin about Proposition 28 that's on the ballot in November. So Austin, thank you so much for being with us. Uh, Tell us a little bit about Prop 28 and why you're backing it. Sure, Uh,
2: John, uh, Tim, thank you. And uh, as the author of this, let me just take a step back to where we started in the problem we're trying to solve, which is barely one in five public schools in the state of California have a full-time arts and music program. Let that settle in. Barely one in five schools across the state have a full-time arts and music program, which I think is awful. And uh, I'll slow down a beat and share uh, the work of others. Uh, uh, More recently, the American Academy of Arts and Sciences put out a report entitled Life for Arts' Sake. Uh, It's good reading for those who are interested. And it really makes the case pretty clearly the complete, set of benefits that inure to a student when they get to participate in arts and music at school. There's a reason to attend school. Uh, studies show attendance is higher when kids have a chance to participate in arts and music. It helps complete their social and emotional wellness and support system, gives them a sense of belonging, gives them a way to express their feelings, uh, positive uh, and anxieties they might have, uh, leads to enhanced cognitive thinking, students to actually get better in literacy and math when they have a chance to participate in arts education. And by, when I say arts, by the way, I mean everything from song and dance and theater to animation and filmmaking and everything in between. So all forms of creative expression. Uh, and in the longer term, it's going to help address the lack of diversity in media technology entertainment. Barely one in 1% of startups in California have a black founder that are funded by venture capital. Uh, Less than 5% of film directors are Latino or of Asian descent. uh, And less than 5% of music executives are Latino. Uh, Those industries have a diversity problem. The answer lies in our public school system, where almost three quarters of the kids in public schools throughout the state of California are kids of color. There's your answer. But if we're not providing them with an opportunity to participate in arts and music and all the learning and all the benefits that come with it, the likelihood that they are going to be prepared for those opportunities career-wise down the road is not high and uh, just again for listeners who may not know the number one employer in the state of california is a creative industry all forms from architecture and design firms uh, to uh, tv film music and everything in between
1: well given all these resources you know that california has had uh, and all these advantages why do you think we lag so much in education for the arts is this a recent thing or has this been the it is, it, it is
2: uh, let's say a generation and a half, John, it's been uh, the first to cut and never to be restored. Uh-huh. So we we'll go back to uh, you and I are roughly the same age. Uh, Tim, you might be a bit younger. Uh, when we were children, arts and music, everywhere in schools, uh, New, York and Los- New York and California really were at parity in school funding. Uh, roll the clock forward now. Uh, Los Angeles, where I'm pretty familiar with school funding levels, pre-pandemic, and the numbers post-pandemic are a little kludgy because of the federal money sloshing around. But on a normalized basis, New York is about 50% higher than Los Angeles in per-pupil, per-pupil school funding. And that's a root cause for this, the lack of adequacy of funding. Uh, there will be some who say, well, California is now in the middle of the pack amongst the 50 states. Yeah, but the bottom of that pack includes Mississippi and Arkansas, where they have trouble properly staffing a school where the cost of living is dramatically different, where they don't necessarily value the employees in schools the way we do with a fair wage and fair benefits in uh, uh, healthcare. So if you look at the true comparable places to California, which might be New York, Connecticut, DC, Massachusetts, uh, they're all 30, 40, 50% higher per pupil school funding. So if that's our group, we're at the bottom, we're not in the middle. So this is an adequacy issue what we attempt to do is to take advantage of a state with record surplus, record revenue, and dedicate a very small portion, 0.4%, about a billion dollars a year, to be used only for arts and music education. Now, when we set out to do it, we tried to do it in an informed way. So drawing on my experience as a superintendent, I brought in teachers, brought in other educators, brought in some smart lawyers and said, how can we make this as simple as possible to achieve the desired objective? So we defined an amount, the amount defined based on prop 98 because that's a number published in law that legislatures and uh, successive administrations in sacramento can't fool around with so it's a hardwired number and we said one percent of that number in addition to that number one percent of prop 98 dollars okay happens to be this year prop 98 is 95 billion one percent is 950 million so we know 950 million dollars are going into schools when this passes uh, starting in the 2023 school year so we define the amount next. We said, how does it get to the kid, right? We don't want to send it to school bureaucracies. We don't to be lost in Sacramento. We don't want superintendents, and I can say this from my former experience, saying, well, that sounds great, but we'd rather use it somewhere else. Uh, so we defined very clearly, it follows the student. So the base amount, 70% of it goes to where students are enrolled in school, preschool through 12 across the state. Then a second amount goes to schools serving kids in high-needs communities. So almost twice as much dollars for, let's say, East Oakland or South Los Angeles uh, than there would be, but every student across the state, preschool through 12 benefits, twice as much money to high-needs communities, and that's leans more heavily in the issue of equity than any other portion of school funding in the state of California, All right. Step one, how much? Step two, how does it get to the school? And step three, what happens with it at the school? Uh, I believe the best way we're gonna see uh, good ideas be shared uh, and outcomes improve at schools is to give families who have children in public schools more agency, more voice. Um, you will see families fight fiercely for their local school to be better, for a better program for their kids. When it starts to go across town to distant bureaucracies, to big school districts, to Sacramento, families, in particular, those who are struggling to get by, they lack agency. They don't have money for high-priced lobbyists and lawyers, and they don't have money to be part of a union and so on and so forth. So families lack agency. We said, well, I'll tell you what. Let's let the schools decide, that school community, the teachers, the families in that school decide how the money is best used, as long as it's aligned with state standards. So it's an arts program. Let's make sure it supplements, not supplants existing dollars. So they can't backfill for an existing program and, again, use money somewhere else. So it has to just grow the program they have or create a new program. Uh, and then we built in transparency and accountability. So each year a school has to prepare a report, share publicly with their school community and share it with the state which answers three questions. How was the money used? How was aligned with state standards and what impact did it have on children? Uh, that's a game changer. There's no other piece of school funding in the state of California that that answer that question is answered on any regular basis. You wouldn't know it and I can tell you as a former superintendent uh, I wouldn't be able to tell you how the dollars spent impact uh, outcomes in literacy or math for children in in the school district in Los Angeles. So we've given the choice and agency to school communities and we've given them the information to make good choices. And I think that will help good ideas be shared across the state of California.
1: What about the issue of, uh, which has come up a lot before in Sacramento, of having money uh, dedicated to a project via the general fund. And I know the you know, one of the ballot arguments, strong ballot arguments in favor of 28 is that it is not a new tax. But there's money from the general fund that will will go to this. In the past, I think the best example was Prop 63 in 2004, which was intended to provide money for uh, mental care, mental illness, and treating for mental health issues. Uh, uh, The former leader of the Senate championed that. What happened was the billion dollars that was supposed to come forward year after year for the program. It finally has, by the way, it finally showed up, but in the first few years, it was raided by the legislature. The legislature has some discretion over the general fund and they really tapped into it. Uh, are, is there a, are there safeguards in this one? We, we, we wanted to make
2: sure the money went for its intended purpose and no other. So the, the legislature can't raid it. The money can only be used to be spent at schools for arts and music education, period, end of story. Now we built in flexibility. So if the budget goes up and down, the amount will go up and down just like anything else in the budget, but it does not displace a single current dollar of budget spending. And it goes only to its intended purpose, which is arts and music education. Now, there's a corner that John, sometimes people ask and say, well, are you ballot box budget or whatever that's supposed to mean? Uh, and as a technical matter, yes, but let's put this in some context. Uh, when that question is asked, people assume that what happens in Sacramento is this sort of the civics that you might learn somewhere in high school—that it's all open and transparent, and every dollar of spending is is spent optimally, and every dollar is compared to another dollar. And you, know, you tell me that's Sacramento. not how it is. Yeah, you saying that's
1: not how it is? Yeah. Okay. All right. That's the so right, so right. You're really you heard in the background. But.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, let uh, you guys can do another podcast and talk about how that's actually not how things happen. So as a practical matter, this is the way it gets done. And I think the ends do justify the means. Uh, And I'm not satisfied with the theoretical argument that says someday in the future, 15 years from now, uh, this might cause pressure on the budget. Go, well, what do we tell the kids today in school, the eight and 10 who don't get arts and music at school? Well, well, you are a victim to a theoretical budget pressure we might have 15 years from now. I, I don't think that's right. Just because... Kids are a little bit last in line. Makes no sense to me. So if it were an open, transparent conversation in Sacramento about every dollar in the budget, I'm confident the kids are going to win. It's not that. So we found a different way to make sure the money goes to kids, only to kids. Uh, and we know it's going to help create a brighter future for the 6 million kids in public schools throughout the state of California.
0: So I have a question for you. Uh, you know, Full transparency, my wife runs an arts center which provides uh, some arts education for children and, and adults. And so I'm somewhat aware of this issue, not to mention the fact that I actually have an art degree from UC Davis. I mean, that's my background. So this is an area of interest for me. And one of the things I'm really wondering is where these art teachers and music teachers and animation teachers and et cetera, where they're going to come from, because I don't, right now, I know that we have a, a teacher crunch, and we have difficulty finding people. What's, what do you think is going to happen there? How, how are those people going to know to get those jobs? Or are we going to be able to get a pipeline going? or kind of- yeah, yeah, that's a really good
2: question. Uh, I want to say it's a bit of a high-class problem. But, but I think there are two things that are going to happen. The first is when people who have uh, a desire to work with children, have some experience in the arts, whatever form that might be, know that there will be jobs with longevity, recurring jobs, I think we're going to see people move into the field. Right now, you go work at a school, and they say, well, six months. Yeah, we know the funding's here for six months. We're not sure about next year. So you don't have continuity for the instructors, whoever they might be, whatever the background might be. You also don't have continuity for children. So if you're taking cello in fifth grade like I did, kind of want to make sure it's there in sixth grade. So the the, uh, fact that there will be ongoing funding will make a very big difference. The second is we built in flexibility into the implementation. The money can be used both in schools as well as with program partners, uh, the lion share at schools, but also there's room for program like you mentioned where they're bringing an outside partner, but also for teachers and teachers' aides at school. So a teacher might become a credential teacher, decide to work full-time at a school, or imagine that session drummer uh, who desires you know, someday to be uh, on tour with whatever, the Rolling Stones, but at the moment uh, is being paid and working only between the hours about 10 p.m. and 5 a.m. when the named artist shows up to record something. Uh, then individuals struggling to make a living, uh, trying to support their own family, wouldn't mind being home with their own kids, uh, kind of hard to do when you work in the middle of the night. A person might say, you know what? I could actually be a teacher's aide. So I could work alongside a teacher, bring my knowledge of the field of drumming and work with, let's say, fifth grade students uh three four days a week as a part-time teacher aide, uh, and then do the session drumming thing on weekends and see where life takes me so teachers teachers aides. i think it's going to be some of both uh they're not all there today but i think with ongoing funding we're going to see really growth in terms of all the different creative people who have a chance now to work in schools and want to work in schools knowing uh that there's a career opportunity there that hasn't been the case you know it's cut 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 uh, if you're graduating with a degree or uh, have the, on a credential path uh, in music, you might have some hesitation. They of Los Angeles Unified with about a quarter million elementary school students. They have fewer than 100 credentialed music teachers. Lots of room, lots of opportunity. And at the same time, uh, one teacher trying to teach music to 2,500 kids, that doesn't work. Uh, so lots of opportunity there and I think it's going to be filled by some very talented people and, and I think frankly California has a chance to really lead, lead the nation in this regard because imagine all the different people just you know in your own walk of life who say you know what I, I'd love to help at a school uh, in the past when someone with that background shows up they say great we'd love to have you but we got no money and now I got money uh, so we can take uh, the resources being provided to schools and build on top of it with folks from the world of animation. You know, in Los Angeles Unified, we started programs with Fender in guitars for middle school students and illumination with animation for middle and high schoolers and, uh, Dr. Dre and Jimmy Iovine around the intersection of technology and entrepreneurship and marketing and George Clooney and, uh, Uh, Ava Longoria, Kerry Washington, a school about job opportunities and learning how things happen behind the camera. Uh, You know people think of a film and tv school and they think of the artist or the performer but that cinematographer actually needs to know some physics because of refraction of light through a lens right. The set designer uses algebra to make sure the pieces fit. There are costume designers and makeup artists in high school we just call ninth and 10th graders but they're using chemistry and material science to put together their look so i think we're going to see all kinds of creative people come to schools uh, and maybe a fair portion of them in non-traditional paths
1: have you got any uh, polling numbers internal polling or otherwise you can share with us around in terms of uh, who likes it who doesn't like it what your sense is uh, yeah yeah
2: uh, so total support in excess of 70 percent Um, uh, North of 50 amongst yes, Uh, if you add the likelies, that's another 10 or 12 and the leaner's another 10 or 12, which in total gets us to north of 70. There are two initiatives which pull in that range, Prop 1, uh, for a different set of issues and and really a lifetime for many of us uh, being involved in that work. Uh, This is a newer issue for folks, but uh, it's well received. And uh, as we spoke earlier, when voters open their voter guide, which they will very, very shortly, on the left side of the page they'll see our arguments for the initiative and the right side of the page will be blank but for the words no argument was submitted in opposition i'm not a student about initiatives but i can't recall the last time uh, uh, an initiative was on the state ballot in california with literally no opposition so great support from all sectors uh all different types of organizations and individuals obviously the celebrity artists uh, tend to get the most news attention but we've got uh, labor organizations who are in schools who are not in schools. We've got the longshoremen and the Teamsters, in addition to teachers and uh, bus drivers and cafeteria workers and school principals. We have the LA uh, Chamber of Commerce and LA County BizFed. We have the Urban League. Uh, We have uh, CEOs of technology companies like Evan Spiegel from Snapchat. So a diverse cross section of support uh, and literally no organized opposition, which frankly reflects the popularity of it. We went out to get signatures um, uh, we paid $3 a wet signature, far and away the cheapest. We got our signatures in less than 90 days. Uh, and I joined teachers who were in the community doing it voluntarily, and I joined the folks who were being paid the $3 at grocery stores. Uh, and the thing that struck me was how everybody had a story. They were all quick, yes. Someone would say, Of course I'll sign. Uh, and then they would tell you their story. They'd tell you, like me, the fifth grade cello player who found friends. Someone would talk about. Uh, uh, how their daughter grew figuratively, you know, a foot and a half when she was in the school play. Was uh, there any demographic
1: breakdown in terms of age when these parents of kids or kids themselves are one in the arts or young ac- people? Or?
2: Across the support, uh, across the board support. This is not one of those where blue likes it and red don't or old like it and young don't or vice versa. Across the board, we are above sea level in every demographic group.
1: And you have Fender guitars. Tim, I thought you might find that interesting. Yeah, some yeah, I some plays in a rock band, and a, I don't I, think I've ever seen Fender as a political major funder. It's listed on the website. Uh, I started uh, uh, a
2: pro- program with Fender during COVID. It's actually interesting. I had approached the CEO of Fender before COVID. Uh, I was a music kid. Uh, I happen to think in middle school, uh, a fretted instrument like that is a fairly low bar to entry, but also it's cool and portable. And I happened upon a uh, guitar class in L Unified that. It uh, was sort of a sort of unicorn. This extraordinary teacher had gotten a grant, uh, gotten guitars for the students in his class.
1: Who's your favorite rock band?
2: Oh, boy, that's a long list. I'm kind of, uh, I got to be honest, everything from um, uh, Steely Dan to Led Zeppelin. I mean, that's, that's a pretty big spectrum. <laughs> uh, it's been fun for me because as some of the support, many of the supporters uh, across the spectrum music, I've gotten to meet some of them uh kind of thrilling for me I've, I've i've held off you know becoming a real groupie and asking for their signature or something but uh
0: yeah. well except on the uh on the actual signature to sign for the
1: ballot you know to get on the on the ballot <laughs>
0: yeah there's a the, the question t- you
1: know, tim, tim will ask that question and uh Uh, it's pretty surprising. Tim, you've mentioned some of these before, the people who you're most surprised by their favorite bands. So
0: last week, our podcast was, uh, we talked to uh, some of the folks from the farm workers because the AB 2183 was on the governor's desk. He did sign it this week, actually, just just yesterday. And Tom Morello from Rage Against the Machine performed at the Capitol to sort of drum up support for this. And that got John and I on a discussion about, you know, politicians and people who are politically active in their favorite bands the weirdest one i still think is paul ryan former republican speaker of the house his favorite band is raging against the machine tom morello said you're exactly what i was raging against (laughs) (laughs) but uh, but you know i have to i do have to say that i noticed there's a similarity between you and john howard so you learned to play the cello and then you went on to play Sort of- yeah so for me
2: cello so my family moved a bunch uh when i was when i was a kid my mom taught public schools my dad worked in factories uh, so we wound up in michigan february so the middle of the school year my fifth fourth or fifth different elementary school all right wasn't worried about the cold weather i probably should have been i didn't realize how cold it was uh what i was worried about that day was when i went to school not english or math I was who was i gonna have lunch with the shy kid i did not know a soul in the school uh and fortunately a music teacher came up to me in the morning and said hey you want to join my music class at lunch my first question was do we get lunch <laughs> so of course the answer was yes uh, uh i was handed a cello which i'd never seen before cello for me became bass became guitar a sense of agency and confidence i could play in front of thousands of people before i could speak in front of tens but it started with that sense of belonging uh a sense of being part of a group of kids and uh, each of us have those stories you know fortunately i'm not going to share with you my cello playing skills or my uh any of my music skills because they're probably non-existent
0: it is fascinating the way that that does work you know you have uh there's been a lot of hubbub in the last few days because lizzo played this crystal flute that once belonged to uh james madison and i did know that lizzo played the flute because i had seen her do that before but i thought a lot of people don't picture someone that's sort of a major star in contemporary uh like soul music i guess that's how you describe her as being a flute player but yeah she was a flute player and, and she came out of band and that was like a yeah, big yeah big it, it, it all I'm starts
2: where it starts somewhere for me and think about that i mean you know like you say it's it's who knew and at the same time who would connect james madison and lizzo right They'd try to figure i i was kidding with my so early on, we had the endorsement and support of Quincy Jones, Katy Perry. Uh, and uh, so I was teasing my daughter, who's now freshman in college, uh, what do Katy Perry, Quincy Jones, and Austin Butner have in common? And my daughter, without missing a beat, says, absolutely nothing, Dad. Uh, and I said, no, 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 we all love music, and we're all supporting Prop 28. Uh, and same with Lizzo and James Madison. You could ask, uh, You could list a thousand things and say, what connects the two of them uh, it's the crystal flute, so it, it connects society in these amazing ways. In addition to, we all started somewhere: drawing, painting, uh, dance, theater. You know the number of people who, uh, frankly, are in the political politics these days who started in uh, theater or started in uh, some form of expression and found that the voice was their most powerful instrument, right?
1: Look at Bill Clinton. He played the saxophone on The Tonight Show. And he did a pretty good job. You know, It
2: wasn't bad. It wasn't bad, right? No, i just
1: put him
0: over the edge. That may have been the, the capper right there.
2: <laughs> well, once you brought the music community along, uh, of course,
0: then we're all voting for the guy with the saxophone. Yep, well, and yep. you know, so it is interesting. We had, I had a conversation maybe about a year ago with a political strategist. And she knew that I played music. And her son, who was very young, I think he was 11 at the time, had gotten obsessive about guitar and was – played his guitar all the time, really didn't want anything else in life than just to be a professional musician, which as a mom, she was a little concerned. I mean, you're picturing someone going on to be in Motley Crue or something. And so she mentions this to me and I said, hey, you know, even if nothing else happens with this, this is a great thing for him to have. If nothing else, music is math. I mean, you know this, if you played the cello and you learned any kind of theory, music at the heart of it is really there's mathematics that makes all of that music theory work. And that's why music sounds like music to us is because you're basically using these things that are essentially mathematic formulas. And I talked to her about that and just said, you know, Hey, this is something, even if like six months from now, he never cares again. He's learning something that is going to totally make that.
2: That's, you know, it's kind of interesting because it's part of a well-rounded education. Some people think, Oh, music or arts is that, sprinkle on top of uh, the, you know, the uh, uh, rainbow sprinkles on top of an ice cream. So they go, no, no, it's an essential part. Most people do not become professional mathematicians, right? most people do not become uh, poets and professional authors. But those skills, those life skills, I was with someone who uh, had been a member of the Los Angeles Unified All-City Marching Band, and they've marched in the Rose Bowl and at the White House and everywhere in between. Uh, and he spoke pretty eloquently. He's now in the Coast Guard. Uh, and music gave him a sense of belonging, that mathematical connection, awareness, brain, uh, and a sense of discipline and accountability for practicing, being part of a group. Uh, those are all great life skills and lead to better life outcomes. Uh, I don't think he ever fashioned himself being a professional musician. That's sometimes people misunderstand when I say participate in arts and music And they say, oh, you wanna be an artist? Probably not. Uh, Like uh, people who play in sports, the same thing could be true, right? The discipline, the camaraderie, uh, winning and losing. Uh, Again, you know, 0.01% of kids are gonna be playing professional sports, but I think we agree that participating in sports helps the whole child develop. Well, participating in music is a center piece of a good education. It's the glue that stitch all the pieces together. You know, if you're a songwriter, you got to write a song. That means you have to have literacy to write that song. You listen to whether it's a hip-hop today or the sort of the ballads of the 60s, uh, the word choice and the songs are incredibly powerful, right? The, the musical notation that accompanies them uh, might be what you hum, but if you listen carefully to the words, whether it's uh, the group from Rage Against the Machine or uh, Bob Dylan or more currently uh, Jay-Z, the words have power. Attached to music, maybe more power, but they're quite literate, uh, and that's a
1: life skill. Well, don't forget leader of the laundromat and leader of the pack. I remember those when I was a kid. I thought you have to be kidding me. a lot of people liked them. You know, what can I say?
2: Yeah, you know, you know that, that's one of the beautiful things about art too. Uh, the beauty is in the eye of the beholder. Um, and uh, uh, so I've gotten the chance to even be reacquainted with people who have made their careers in art, but also people who haven't. Uh, and all of us have a story. There's, if we give the 6 million kids in public schools their chance to have that story, they're going to be better for it.
0: Yeah, right. And so a question you don't have to answer if you don't want to, because this has nothing to do with Prop 28. But uh, you were going to run for LA mayor some years ago. So you have your finger on the pulse of LA politics. Right. Any sense of what's happening in the LA mayor's race right now? Again, you don't have to answer this if you don't want to.
2: No, no, happy to answer it. I, I care. Um, I was, as you said, deputy mayor. I care about the city. I was publisher, uh, watched as we chronicled the issues. Uh, my hope is it gets more substantive uh, as much as uh, uh, the uh, newspapers seem interested in USC and some other things. The mayor of Los Angeles is not responsible for what happens at USC. Uh, the mayor response of Los Angeles is responsible for addressing the issues of. Uh, People experiencing homelessness is is responsible for making sure people feel safe and are safe. Is responsible for making sure we have an economy which is generating good paying jobs uh, and providing a tax base and opportunity uh, for people in the work they do. Uh, and I think as a city, we fail, we are failing and falling falling short and failing to deliver on those. So I hope in the coming weeks the conversation gets more substantive rather than less. Uh, but uh, that hasn't necessarily been the case. And Uh, It's been difficult, you know. Today's news is the tragedy and the awfulness of the hurricane in Florida, and it's Ukraine, and it's inflation, and it's a a crisis uh, of uh, voter rights and other things that are happening, which are making seemingly to me the mayor's race even more trivial. uh, When uh, I have not heard from either candidate what they will subsequently do differently to address the issue of homelessness in our community. I've heard promises, but so what? Uh, one can say, I'm gonna build this many units for that many. That's just a promise. I've not heard anything substantively different. Um, and that troubles me. Uh, I don't know what we do about it, And maybe it's a reflection of not just in municipal local races, but uh, nationwide. Uh, but you know, stay tuned. I hope it gets more substantive. I don't know that it will. Uh, but Los Angeles, we face some challenges and we need leadership who We'll step up to those challenges and and try to do something different. You know, I, I had some lived experiences during COVID as superintendent. Um, we set up and ran the largest food relief effort in our nation's history. We, Los Angeles Public Schools. We provided 140 million meals to hungry children and adults during the pandemic, 140 million meals. Uh, you could take a step back and say, well, we did it because we felt we had to. It was the right thing, no questions asked. People are hungry, we're gonna get them food where was the state, where was the county, where was the city? I'm asking rhetorically. I don't. I, I actually do know, but they weren't there. Uh, and the same could be true for, is true today for the issues of people experiencing homelessness, public safety, the job outlook. Um, so we, we need uh, better leadership than we've had, and I hope that's the outcome out of this race. Uh, I can't predict it. I don't know. i am not looking at any of those polls. I know both the people who are running well and uh, whichever one of them is prepared or publicly starts talking about what they will do differently uh, as opposed to a promise, uh, that's the one who gets
1: my vote. Well, Buettner, thank you so much for joining with us today and for chatting with us. Tim Foster, thank you. Thanks, Sean.
2: Final closing words? Uh,
1: yeah, sure. Go ahead. We can always thing? cut them out, so go ahead. No. No, that's, yeah,
2: yeah, yeah. That, that's, <laughs> the, it's only for the two of you, I guess. But uh, there's only one initiative on the ballot. Which will cause smiles to be on the faces of 6 million public school kids the day after the election. That's Prop 28. So, if we're prepared to invest in the future of California, which is in our public schools, to provide additional funding for arts and music without raising taxes, we're going to do that. We're going to create a brighter future for kids in public schools. So, please join me, vote yes in 28.
0: Thank great. you. Austin, This is great. And, you know, we're supposed to be a nonpartisan uh, uh, media organization. I have to say, Given that there's no opposition, I feel like we can loosen up our nonpartisanness uh, <laughs> because this, you know, I, I'm totally uh, going to cop to the fact that I love this idea. Uh, John, we can cut that out later or we can leave it in. But, yeah. but <laughs> know, it's hard, hard to be nonpartisan on something that's like, you know, it's like sliced bread, rainbows and, and motherhood and apple pie. Everybody loves it. So we got
1: well, the Dan and the Led Zeppelin. I think we should cut those two out for sure. But, you know.
0: Well, you know,
2: I can I could go. You know, I mean, I actually in bass and cello took me first to John Coltrane and oh the, yeah wow. there you go uh, some some probably more accomplished and deeper roots Stanley Clark. I actually had a chance to see Stanley Clark in person a couple of years ago, right pre COVID. Um, so it's sounded of probably more jazz roots in music, uh, but in terms of popular music, uh, uh, it would be. I grew up in the Midwest, you know, so. That, that kind of heavy drum beat, hard rock, you can't grow up in the Midwest, just like you can't grow up in the Midwest and not have sucked down some two-stroke uh, diesel you know, engine fumes somewhere along the way for a motorcycle or a snowmobile, well, the same thing would be true for hard rock,
1: I guess. You did know, play like marching cello, did you? That's Woody Allen supposedly played. Marching cello? <laughs> yeah, well, you know,
2: the, the truth, I switched from cello to bass in, in part because I could march with the cello, meaning I, I, when <laughs> I walked to school, My mom was like, well, that fits on your back. You can carry that one. The bass was too big, so I got to ride You
0: you played a string bass?
2: Yeah, I started telling to string bass to bass guitar. So I
0: I was going to say, because, yeah, string bass is like, I wanted to play that as a kid. Cool. I got stuck playing the violin, which, you know, not to be on the flip side of this, boy, I hated playing the violin. I wanted to play either the saxophone or the string bass, but I was just, I was a kid. I couldn't play, you know, a giant bass. Maybe if I was a little. So well, that's weird. where they start you with cello,
2: right? Because it's bass clef. Yeah. It's not treble clef. Yeah. Uh, they have little teeny cellos. that almost look like big, you know, violas. Yeah. Uh, and to this day, you know, people will tell you the smell of something that smells like your grandmother's cooking. You feel good. If I hear a well-played cello, which was never me, but if I hear a well-played cello, I have those same sort of feelings. Uh, so, yeah. You know, Yo Yo Ma go well out of my way to listen to Yo Yo Ma because it makes me feel good. It's I think it's one of the more amazing sounding instruments there is um, in the whole suite of instruments in the orchestra.
0: And we can't get through this without me mentioning that John, when he was a a high school student in Mexico and then later in uh, in San Diego, he was actually the bass player in a rock band. Yeah, I know. You look at John today, you don't picture bass player in a rock band, but that was
1: once. You think of touchy feely acoustic, you know. Uh, well, so a bass so is I, where he, it was
2: at. Yeah, yeah bass is where it was at. So I, I lived in a small Midwestern town. We had a jazz trio. We actually played in bowling alleys, it gives you something, you know, for like $20 a night or whatever that was. Uh, it was part of a rock band. We played high school dances. Uh, yeah. And, uh, you know, you can't do that without a bass. Um, yeah. Now, were you a Fender guy? or
1: I had Gretsch. Oh, wow. Yeah. Yeah, I think it was second hand. It was beat up, as I recall. It looks so like did, it scarred furniture, but um, it was great.
2: Did you get get into the Gretsch? The sort of the arch top and the whole other part of Gretsch, or no? Just the base. No,
1: just the base. And then there was another one um, that was much less expensive. I remember when I came to California, up to California from from Mexico, it was much better. I can't remember the name of it now, but it was quite good, and it sounded a lot better than the one that was. Kind Of an antique collector's item, so I really always wanted to get a Fender a jazz bass, yeah.
2: If you so, the factory's out in Corona, which is sort of uh Ontario ish, uh, and the headquarters in Hollywood. So, if you're down this way, let me know, I'm sure they'd be happy to host you oh,
0: Well, okay. you know, the other thing is California really is the headquarters for uh rock and roll music instrumentation in a lot of ways, uh, obviously Fender, but Rickenbacker. Has been a california-based company they're sort of aside from the beatles they fly under the radar a little bit but they've been based in california the whole darn time
2: oh the, the, a lot of uh uh instruments you know the, the synth- synthesizers the 16-bit uh controller that uh, hip hop artists start using You'd be surprised at how many pieces sort of have their roots somewhere in southern california um obviously not the jazz roots in new orleans they're different streams of music, but a lot of the, you know, Leo Fender was obviously an LA guy, but Rickenbacker and uh, the Moogs and others like that. um, There's a rich, rich history of that. That was at a rich, rich history of artists. I was at uh, Jefferson High School in South Los Angeles a couple weekends ago uh, for a performance, and it was all themed on artists who came to that school right? So when you can bookend Etta James, almost anything else you put in the middle is going to be, you know, great. Wow. Uh, and just the number of people who came to that school or actually had their musical life intersection with about a three-block stretch of Central Avenue, incredible. Um, and that would seem to be true for whether the hate and, and all the different sounds from hate. California really has had a lot of iconic sounds come from the uh, I'm going to something with Brian Wilson, right? That whole sound. He's yeah. another supporter.
0: Yeah. Um, and so. another bass player.
2: <laughs> All right, well, listen, you're both great to take the time. If there are any questions you have or things we missed, uh, feel free to give me a or try to fill in as best I can.
1: Austin Butner. thank you so much for joining us. Uh, that was a conversation that included rock music, politics, Ballot prop, where else folks are you going to hear that? But anywhere on Capital Weekly's podcast. <laughs> so, thank you so much for joining us. And now, return to who had the worst week in California politics. The worst week, worst week, worst week. And that's kind of a twofer, I think, Tim. Uh, clearly, Brooke Jenkins had a bad week, the San Francisco district attorney uh, who quit her job a while back, who left the DA's office to join the uh, support of uh, Chesa Bodine's recall. Uh, Now herself was appointed by the mayor, London Breed, to be the DA in San Francisco, and and she was confirmed. So here she is as DA. She did not get the endorsement of the Democratic County Central Committee in San Francisco. Didn't get any votes, as far as we can tell. And her uh, opponent, John Hamasaki, got 11 votes. The 33 members of the committee He gets 11 votes. A third of the committee is all who decided they wanted to endorse him and they endorsed him. Just seems kind of weird. It's a black eye for Brooke Jenkins because she didn't get endorsed by her fellow Democrats. It's a black eye for the, I think for the democratic County central committee, uh, who is so riven by factions that they can't even agree, uh, on a position on a person to hold this post seems pretty important to me. And so we're going to ask, uh, anybody, uh, who knows San Francisco politics, send your cards and letters to us here at Capitol weekly. Yeah. Let us know. One thing
0: I had a question on, and I saw this reported and maybe this is a face saving move, but I saw that Jenkins campaign had asked not to be endorsed.
1: Yes, that's right. Uh, and I think my first reaction, that was same as yours. I think it was a sort of a face saving move knowing she wasn't going to get it anyway. Uh, it's still kind of weird. Why don't they like her? well, Uh, When she left the DA's office, apparently she did not turn over evidence in a key homicide case that later came back to bite her. Um, That was a problem. But as she said, she made a mistake. Larger issue is working on the campaign, but also uh, working on it on on the campaign in an effort, uh, excuse me, in a position that was funded by a, a billionaire. Apparently she didn't make that clear at the beginning uh She later did, but that that didn't help her any. So the bottom line is, uh it just seems like both of them need some rebuilding to do, but including that party, and from a lot from a distance of eighty five miles here in Sacramento, it just seems really weird. And Sacramento is weird enough; we don't need any weirdness from the Bay Area. So there you are,
0: John. If you don't if you're not getting weirdness from the Bay Area, what are you going to get? What can we you know, do? But here's here's the big question: is is this going to make one iota of difference in the election in november i mean does the democratic county council's uh endorsement carry that much sway in san francisco politics i don't know but my gut feeling was if it's based on anything you know the sacramento county council sway is probably not going to be the deciding factor in a sacramento vote so uh i don't know this will in the end of the day make that much difference
1: yeah i agree i totally agree uh interestingly enough they did endorse Chesa Bodine who got thrown out of office just a while back so uh, but I agree with you I don't think it makes that much difference uh endorsements they're kind of arguable they're sort of problematic sometimes I think they make a difference in terms of fundraising for people who don't follow politics they're not following endorsements in newspapers anyway for example same with the county committees I just don't see it making that big of a a difference come election time
0: well and speaking of endorsement watch i'm going to keep beating the drum that i keep beating on this podcast uh gavin newsom has still not endorsed in the la mayor's race i'm guessing maybe he never is going to uh but uh i for one still think it's a little weird but maybe i'm the i no one else really talking about this but to me it just seems weird well, he so might to, be right totally to 40 days out or whatever it is you know and, and he still isn't endorsed so we'll just keep our running count every
1: week well let's find out what happens let's uh we'll wait you may be prescient and ahead of everybody else in the political curve so we'll have to wait and see uh tim foster thank you so much okay uh, thanks john it's john howard saying we will talk to you next time around take care
0: the capital weekly podcast is produced by tim foster for open california if you enjoyed today's episode, we hope you'll go onto iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts and leave us a positive review. Thanks a lot, and we'll see you next week.